Hi, I'm Saida Garrett, co-writer of Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror, and you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mr. Mark Tara. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the persons appearing on the program. Today on Rainbow Country, my 2021 interview with former professional rugby player Keegan Hurst, who in 2015 became the first British professional rugby player to come out as gay, and who on August 1st, 2022, came out of retirement to once again play professional rugby. That and more in episode 313, so stay tuned to Gay Talk Radio right here on Rainbow Country. Hi, this is Carol Pope. Hi, I'm Garrett Conley, author of Boy Erased, a memoir. Hi, I'm Lorraine Segato. Hi, I'm Gord Depp of the Spoons. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. to a brand new journey through Rainbow Country. As I like to call it, a little gay radio show working to give voice to the LGBT community and beyond. And as always, I am your tour guide through Rainbow Country. I'm producer and host, Mark Tara. By the way, Rainbow Country originates from CIUT-FM in Toronto and now proudly in syndication on 12 outlets across Canada from coast to coast to coast. The Yukon, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, the east coast of Canada in Newfoundland, Ontario, even down to Buffalo, New York, and online. Well, thanks to you tuning in, streaming, downloading, but ultimately listening. Together, we continue to build Rainbow Country into a nationally syndicated gay radio show, a number one LGBT podcast on Podomatic.com's Gay and Lesbian Chart. And last week, Rainbow Country was number two, as well as being recognized as Canada's number two LGBT podcast on Feedspot.com. So today, my 2021 interview with professional rugby player Keegan Hurst. In 2015, Keegan Hurst became the first professional British rugby player to come out as gay. In 2020, at the age of 34, he announced his retirement. Well, on August 1st, 2022, Keegan Hurst announced that he was coming out of retirement to once again play professional rugby. In my 2021 interview, which we'll hear today, Keegan Hurst shares his coming out story talks about being a gay parent, and so much more. Plus an hour two, music from LGBT artists, independent artists, plus voices that we've come to know and love in classic disco, classic 80s, classic house. And on this episode, I'm featuring some, some British 80s, as well as some Canadian calypso. But at first, a gay Canadian history lesson with activist and author Tim McCaskill. Today's lesson, the early days of Canada's LGBT community. When we talk about the LGBTQ 
community as if it is something that just exists, I think we're indulging in wishful thinking. Communities aren't something that spring fully formed from the ether. They require some assembly. They need to be constructed. Still thinking about the 70s here, when I came out in Toronto, there were lots of different parts that didn't quite fit together. First, there were gay men who went to bars and baths. Most were pretty deeply in the closet. They shared a dirty secret and some overlapping friendship networks, but not much else. Then there were a self-proclaimed clutch of young activists around the body politic and the gay alliance towards equality, myself included, who tended to be a bit judgmental about anyone not properly out and willing to throat ram. In fact, one writer to the body politic called us the high-principled Jesus Christ farts of the movement. Then there were the new class of gay entrepreneurs who were establishing the first gay businesses along Church Street. The Community Homophile Association was perhaps the largest organization in town, and it was run by George Hislop, a part owner of several of these businesses. The entrepreneurs saw the activists as troublemakers rocking a precarious boat, and we saw them as conservatives unable to embrace gay liberation. We felt much the same about MCC, the major gay-focused Christian organization at the time. When women from chat, calling themselves the cunts, broke off and denounced Hislop as a sexist in 1971, it made clear that a lot of women were also on a pretty different wavelength. Most lesbians were much more comfortable in feminist circles than hanging around with gay men. Not that they all agreed either. There were always the lesbian socialist feminists versus the radical feminist lesbians and so on. Trans organizing was small and generally had little to do with any of us. Trans men were often concerned with distinguishing themselves from lesbians, and trans women were unwelcome in most lesbian spaces. Gay men were generally suspicious, unclear on the differences between sexual orientation and sexual identity. So it was all a bit of a hot mess. I suppose if you see community like a dysfunctional family where everybody fights all the time, you could call it a community. But if by community you mean people who are cooperating and fighting for a common goal, that probably didn't really happen until the 1980s when we were all faced with challenges that we couldn't overcome alone. This is Tim McCaskill, a gay liberation dinosaur from another planet and author of Queer Progress. Hi everyone, this is Mark Tewksbury, Olympic champion, leader, humanitarian. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. On August 1st, 2022, Keegan Hurst announced that he was coming out of retirement to once again play professional British rugby. The story broke on Sky Sports. We'll hear that Sky Sports report, as well as Keegan himself talking about his decision to come out of retirement. And following that, my 2021 interview with professional rugby player, Keegan Hurst. 
just bring you a bit of breaking news from Rugby League as well. Keegan Hurst, who is the first English player to come out in terms of Rugby League players, will reverse his decision to retire. He is going to come back to the game. He's released a statement as well, has Hurst, and he says this, COVID added to my own personal circumstances, made me lose touch with some of the things I hold dearest to me, friends and Rugby League. So he'll be making a comeback for Batley Bulldogs and could be starting as early as Wednesday. Um, the statement continued from Hurst to say after the recent thinly veiled homophobia over a rainbow shirt, I thought, how can I help with visibility and inclusion? That comment refers to uh, last week, the story in Australia in the NRL, where seven Manly Sea Eagles players uh, refused to play in a match against the Sydney Roosters last week because uh, the Sea Eagles had introduced uh, a shirt which was designed to promote diversity and inclusion with a, a rainbow on it. Uh, and as I said, those seven players didn't wish to take part in that game. It caused some controversy uh, in Australia. But uh, the statement continues by saying, by lacing up my boots, putting on a playing shirt and getting back out there. Uh, that's how uh, I help with, with uh, visibility and inclusion. I still have plenty of games in me and looking forward to help Batley continue uh, their incredible season as they ready for their playoff campaign. Progress is hard one. Yes, we've got uh, equality in marriage. We've, we can't be sacked because we're gay. We do have athletes that are coming out and they're all amazing and they, they should not be underestimated how important they are. But then when we have governments repealing conversion bans, like it's 2022 and people across the world are still being electrocuted to not be gay anymore. That's still a thing. And equality isn't just being able to get married to someone of the same sex. Equality is going to hold your partner's hand and not having to go, am I safe to do that? What are people going to say? Is that okay? That's equality, not having to check yourself putting on a, some clothes and thinking, does this make me look gay? Am I going to get abuse for this? That's what we're talking about, equality. Yeah, the, the laws and the rules are the same, but the attitudes are not. You just have to look at what we've gone through there, what we've discussed with Manly. People boycotting a shirt because it's got rainbows on it. That's not equality. Yet they're happy to wear a shirt that's got, you know, um, that promotes gambling and they play in a stadium that promotes alcohol. That's not equality. So there is still things to be done. This is not something that someone like me or gay people in general enjoy doing. We just like everybody who just wants to get on with their life, don't they? I, I don't want to be sat here banging a drum about how important diversity and, inclus and inclusivity is. It, it should just be a given, but unfortunately it's not. And, and, and that's why people you know, still have to speak up and that's why we still have to have pride and things like that. How, how, how is the weather in Canada? Where, whereabouts are you? Are you I'm in you, Toronto. Toronto. I'm in. I've got. I've got a All my clients are. All my clients are in Ontario. I've got. Uh, I've got a couple of clients in Toronto. I've got a client in somewhere called Mississauga. Mississauga. I'm, I'm yeah. In, yeah. 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 Keegan Hurst. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you? I am. I am well. I always say this to my guests, but thank you for being here. Thank you so much for being here to have your voice, your story be heard by the by the LGBT community and beyond. So thank you for that. No, I appreciate it. You're in the UK. Whereabouts are you? Uh, so I'm in the north of England, uh, near a city called Leeds, not far from Manchester. I'm sure everybody's heard of Manchester. Um, I'm about 50 minutes away from Manchester. So, 
So the the 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympics are now in the history books. You are a a professional uh, rugby player. I'm interested to know, as an athlete, did you tune in at all to the Olympics? Yeah, I, I did. I I love the Olympics. Uh, Me too. I, I, I yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, mainly because it's full of things that I could never hope to do. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so it's it's, it's, nice. it's it's you know seeing that accumulation of training and discipline and you know all people's hopes and dreams pinned on this time five years worth of training. Um, and I, I, it was it, it was a weird like I would always watch the Olympics and I mean it was a weird one here with time differences with Tokyo so it was actually live in the middle of the night here but we get like uh, summaries I remember watching I mean obviously we all want to watch the men's gymnasts but um, at this particular point I was watching the, the girls gymnastics and this girl did this amazing flip and I don't know what it was uh, she landed it. And it just made me get really emotional, actually. I, like, filled up. And I, I think it was just, obviously, thinking about all the, the effort and the work that has gone in for people to get there and for these Olympics to finally go ahead. And it, it kind of came over me, and I thought, God, what's happened to me? Uh, but, yeah, I, I love the Olympics. I, I think they're an amazing spectacle. You play rugby. Do you, did you know or do you know other rugby players that have been Olympians? Um, I I don't know any rugby players. That's a very good question that I've never been asked before. I don't actually. <laughs> just have to think that. Um, I don't know any rugby players that are Olympians. You see, usually the thing is, if you want to be an Olympian, you can't be a professional, so you can't get paid for it. Um, so I I think that in and also the rugby that's at the Olympics is rugby union, and I played a different kind of rugby called rugby league, which I would say is better. Um, but I would, I might be biased. Um, so no, I, unfortunately, I, I don't, um, I don't know any Olympians. I will have to make a mental note to add some to my phone book. <laughs> so you've been playing rugby professionally since I believe 2008, and in 2020 you retired. Why did you retire? Yeah, I've been playing since God was a boy. Um, yeah, I. I was coming to the end of my, well, I felt like I was coming to the end of my career anyway, just because I'd, I made my professional debut when I was 17. Um, and it was all I'd ever, it was all I'd ever known as an adult. Um, and, you know, as you can imagine, being any kind of athlete, there's a lot of commitment, giving up your time, your weekends, your evenings, your your body, <laughs> putting your body on the line. Um, and after doing it for, yeah, what, 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 13, 14 years um, professionally, not to mention, you know, what I'd done previous as an amateur and things like that. Um, I just, I was just, I was a little bit disillusioned with it as well, to be honest. Um, it, it just, the, the the game was going in a way that they used to talk about players' mental health and they talked about player welfare, but they didn't actually do anything to make it better. Um, there was a lot of lip service and I, I, I really didn't like that. So I got a bit disillusioned with it. And then COVID hit, things got cancelled. And my plan was always to go back and do one more year, um, like a, a share return tour. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but um, but I, I just, it, it got to a point where I, I thought, I, I, can't, I don't really want to go back. 
Um, and I felt like I didn't have anything to prove with rugby anymore. You know, I had achieved everything that I, I felt that I was good enough to achieve. Um, you know, I'd come out in, in the middle of my career. I'd done, done, my, done my bit there. And um, yeah, my kids were growing up and I just thought I, I want to have my weekends with my kids and my partner. And, um, and I don't want to get beaten up anymore. There comes a point where it really starts to hurt, and I thought, actually, I don't want to go back to to that. So, um, yeah, so that that was why, really. Um, Do you yeah. think you're done with professional rugby? Um, I, I I would like to say yes, uh, but what I would also say is that I've found it a lot more difficult than what I thought it would be to. So just to finish with the game, um, it, because it's, you know, it's been a big part of my identity. I played it since I was 11 years old. Um, I grew up with it, watching it, playing it. Um, a lot of my friends were rugby players. Um, and you miss that sense of community, that sense of solidarity, that single per, per, you know, your job is to turn up and win, but you're all in it together and you all look out for each other. And suddenly it leaves a big gap, um, which is part of the reason that I got into, into coaching like I did. But yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm completely done with it. Um, I, I feel like I have a bit of a f- difficult relationship with it at the minute. We're, like I said, feeling a bit disillusioned about it. Um, but who knows what the future holds. Yeah. I'm I'm still you know I'm still only 33. Rugby you just can't quit him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's yeah. let's talk let's talk about you being going from being an athlete to entrepreneur. PTIQ an online one-on-one personal coaching service. What does PTIQ do exactly? Talk to me about this. PTIQ is basically my coaching program that I set up. It's all done online. Um, and what I noticed when I came out was that, you know, and I went through what I call my education, uh, learning about gay culture, because it wasn't part of my culture when I was in inverted commas straight, you know, when I was still in the closet. And it became really apparent to me very fast that everything, not everything, that's over-exaggeration, but most things, um, to do with gay men were either based around drinking or sex. And, you know, where did people go to talk about, you know, wanting to develop themselves, whether that was their, their physique, their their knowledge, their, their education, their just personal development in general. And it was always something that I was really passionate about. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick, stick my head above the parapet here and create something that, is aimed at gay men, you know, with that. Because I do feel that we have a different, well, we certainly do have a different lived experience to, you know, other men. Um, And I just felt like I could, some people didn't feel that they were related to and that people didn't understand them. So, yeah, I created this um, PTIQ and I called it PTIQ because I thought it was being really clever. And it was the idea was PT training and IQ intelligence quote and like be smart so train smart and I had a client um, a client of mine who said what does PTIQ stand for is it personal trainer is queer and I said <laughs> I, w- I said I wish it stood for that I wish I'd have thought of that 
So from now on, yes, that's what it stands <laughs> for. But um, so yeah, so it's become this, you know, it's become this community that we have, and you know, it's not exclusively gay men. There's a few straight guys in there, but predominantly gay men, similar challenges, similar aspirations, similar goals, and we have a real, a real, you know, community. Everybody wants to support themselves, and you know, in this world of social media and curated lives that it's really easy to, you know, to, to look at your own life and think, God, I ain't got all that. I don't look like that. I don't have a pan that looks like that. I don't have a job that looks like that. My life's shit. And that's not, that's not real life. Um, and I, I suppose what, what we've done as a community is like lifted the lid on that and just focused on, on, on us and, and, you know, feeling more comfortable in our own skin whether that's through, you know, looking the way you want to look, feeling the way you want to feel, or just growing as a person. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's evolved and it's grown. It has grown and continues to grow. You know, we have a a resident psychotherapist now. We have physio. We have, you know, we have a coaching team as well as, as well as me and some incredible clients from, from across the world, you know, guys in Canada, the States, Australia, the UK, Europe, um so and who, yeah. who would you say is who would you say is the the perfect client for ptiq who it's i would say that it's for gay guys between 30 and 60 who want to who want to fulfill the potential whether that's physically whether that's their confidence whether that's their mindset people who want to People who want to, who know that they're worth more, who put, what I find is it's pe- people put everybody else above themselves um, and don't leave any any energy for themselves. And as I always say, for the guys, self-care isn't selfish. So, you know, it's geared for gay men, 30, 30 to 55, 60 years old, who don't want to settle, who want to be... Be the best version of themselves, and I know that sounds cliche, um, but it is a nice, succinct way of uh, of rounding it up. Would you say part of PTIQ is life coaching? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it's so much more than a training and nutrition program. You know, it's because the thing with that is all the information to get in, in incredible shape is on is on the internet. You know, if if that's all it took, then I wouldn't be in a job and neither would any other coach. It's and something I always say to the guys is, you know, we all we all know a fat doctor, we all know a divorced marriage counselor. You know, knowledge isn't enough. It's about building building behaviors, habits, it's challenging our identity or what we perceive as our identity, building a new one challenging our limiting beliefs our thought patterns our frameworks that we have in our own head our blueprint for the world challenging it breaking it remaking it how we want it so that we can live life on on our terms so yeah it is so much more than a training program and debt you know I, I wouldn't like to say a life coach but you know I guess it is in the sense of you know we have guys who come and they might be in toxic relationships whether that's with themselves whether that's with a partner whether that's with a friend whether that's at work and they go for new jobs and they become more confident and they you know they create boundaries they they look after themselves more and and ultimately have a better quality of life so 
yeah, it's it's not just about building a better body. It's, it is about building a better life. Exactly that, mate. And on that note, we will return after this Rainbow Country update. Hi, I'm Paul Poirier, Canadian champion in ice dance and three-time Olympian. And you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Terra. a Canada-wide 2S LGBTQQIA community survey is looking for your involvement. The Our Health survey aims to explore the current state of health among two-spirit, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual, and other sexually and gender diverse people in Canada. The study team especially wants to hear from community members who are living with chronic health conditions like diabetes, cancer, and fibromyalgia. This is to ensure that people living with conditions that are often underrepresented or less understood are included in this work. Participants will also have the opportunity to do a test at home to screen for COVID-19 antibodies, HIV, hepatitis C, and syphilis. All data collected will be used to advocate for programs, services, and policies that better support the health and well-being of 2S LGBTQIA people across Canada. All participants will receive a small honorarium for completing the survey. For more information, visit cbrc.net forward slash our underscore health. That's C-B-R-C dot N-E-T forward slash O-U-R underscore H-E-A-L-T-H. Hitmakers is a full-service, award-winning record label and social enterprise based in Iqaluit, Nunavut. We specialize in the creating and marketing of world-class Inuit and Indigenous music, including pop, hip-hop, rock, folk, and traditional Inuit music. Hitmakers has studios in Iqaluit, Ottawa, and Toronto. The label currently works with more than 20 Inuit and Indigenous artists, and we represent and promote many more. The company was founded in 2016, and our mission is to create viable careers in the arts for Inuit and Indigenous artists through music, media, and education. Our secondary mission is to empower artists to share and strengthen their stories and culture. To learn more, please connect with us on social media or at hitmakers.com. That's hitmakers with a Z. Thanks for listening. Canada's LGBTQ2 Plus archives just released. Out North, an archive of queer activism and kinship in Canada. Order a copy from your local bookstore to dive into hundreds of loud and proud stories and photos of historical queer life in Canada from pre-1939 to today. Get your copy from your local bookstore. Out North, an archive of queer activism and kinship in Canada. 
Phone rings. I got a message from the mayor. He's going to call me back the next day. I get the call and he said, if you'd accept, uh, would you, we'd like to honor you with the key to the city. There was an event um, later that year in May. Just a key, right? Like key to what? A decent job, uh, a good singing career. Uh, it's really a metaphor, but it's history. So a reporter wants to talk to me and says, uh, you know, well, so it's key, right? Like, what's the big deal? I said, well, not everybody gets the key. So I looked it up, and I guess it is kind of a big deal. The date, May 17th, 2018, when trans activist Susan Gapka made history by becoming the first trans woman to be presented with the key to the city of Toronto. By the way, past recipients include Rush and the Raptors. I'm Brian Bradley, author of Outrageous Misfits, female impersonator Craig Russell and his wife, Lori Russellidi. You are listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. So you you are an an athlete, a professional athlete, an entrepreneur. You also happen to be gay. You came out in your your late twenties, but you've been on record saying that you didn't necessarily believe you were gay because you didn't see anyone that looked like you. You're now what six four, like over two hundred pounds. And you didn't see anyone that looked like you, so therefore you couldn't be gay. So here's the question. who, When you were growing up, when you were coming of age, who did you see that was gay that made you say, aha, they're gay, I don't look like that, so therefore I'm not gay, I can't be gay, even though I have these feelings. Who did you see as being gay growing up? Yeah, so, the, I mean, the, the only people that I knew of that were gay were people like Elton John and... Freddie Mercury, George Michael, who were all singers, which I certainly am not. Um, you know, and uh, I didn't sound like me, didn't look like me, didn't dress like me. Um, and, I, you know, it's funny how we rationalise things when we're growing up or when we're in denial, right? And, um, yeah, there just wasn't that representation that, you know, we, we've certainly got better at it now, but... Yeah, growing up, it was I, there was no one that I felt that I could relate to, and um, yeah, a, a kid's you know mentality. Therefore, I can't be gay. This must be a, something that's going to go away. Um, yeah, you tried I just, to make it go away. Essentially, when I, did you? I did. When growing up, when did you begin to recognize your your same sex attraction? When did that start happening for you? So I think that. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? So I think looking back, you know, 12, 13, I was thinking that, you know, I fancied other other lads, other boys, um, but no one was talking about it. So I thought, well, maybe people are thinking it and we're not talking about it. Or maybe um, I'll, you know, I'll just join in with what everybody else is doing, which is getting a girlfriend. Um, uh, and... So I just went went along with that. And it wasn't until I was, you know, a little bit older, 15, 16, where I realized that actually other people weren't having these feelings. But I just hoped that at, at the time, I hoped that they would go away. I didn't 
I didn't like I say the how could I be gay? There wasn't anybody like me. I was I was a rugby player. Um, there weren't any gay rugby players. Um, there weren't really any gay sportsmen then. You know, there was there wasn't the you know uh, uh, we talked about the Olympics earlier. I think there was a, a hundred and sixty nine out Olympians this year, and um, which is incredible. But there certainly wasn't that in you know the nineties when I was growing up. Um, God, that makes me feel old. Um, and yeah, so I, I did, I, you know, and where I grew up in the north of England, very, you know, local town for local people. Everybody knew everybody's business. You grew up, you got a job, you had a family, you got married, you had kids. Everybody worked in the local town and, and that's what you did. It was very small, small-minded, small aspirations, no ambitions, no diversity. You know, there was, if anybody moved in who had a different colour skin, then they were suspicious. If any moved in with, you know, different ideas or fancy ideas about anything that was out of the norm, then, you know, they were not necessarily not welcomed, but they were they were certainly seen as, as different as outsiders. And, you know, no kid wants to grow up to be that, right? So, um, yeah, so I tried to explain it away. I tried to bury it. I tried to make it go away and, you know, ultimately ended up getting married and, and having kids, uh, trying to make it go away so much and hoping that it would do. Um, but as I'm a raving homosexual, it, it didn't. So this next question I'm going to ask you, and I'm not sure if you, this sounds weird to say, if you'll be able to answer it, but... You're you're six foot four. You're two hundred and what thirty, forty, fifty pounds or something. Uh, yeah. Why didn't you? Th- why didn't you think someone that looked like you, six four, two plus two hundred plus pounds, could be gay? Why didn't you think that? Because you didn't see it. Yeah, I, th- I think so, and I think also because I didn't want to be as well. I think there was a lot of denial in there. Um, and I think, you know, for me, like the town that I grew up in, there was no, as far as I was aware as a kid, there were no gay people. Um, so, you know, gay people went, gay people were from London. was like, <laughs> and as ridiculous as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you and know, they looked like was, Elton John and, and, they looked and like Elton more effeminate type people. Yeah. And they, you know, high kicked up the street and, um, had feather bowers on and which is you know obviously ridiculous because we come in all shapes and sizes and and flavors um but at that time you know because of that lack of representation because of that not knowing that there were that there were different flavors of being gay um i just thought that's gay i'm not that Mm -hmm. ergo i'm not i'm not i'm not gay isn't it interesting that here you are now and maybe someone who's coming up, who's a teenager, maybe even now coming of age, who might have the same stature as you physically, can look at you and say, hey, he looks like me and I have those feelings too, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, Representation does matter. It really, do, it really does matter and it is important and it is just to know... <sighs> You know, we, we all like to think that we like to be the first and we like to cha- challenge the status quo and we like to be different. And, you know, maybe we do, certainly as we get older, 
But when we, I think when we're younger, you know, we just want to, we just want to fit in. We just want to be accepted. We all as human beings want to be accepted for who we are, what we are. It's why we look so hard for our tribe, right? For, for people like us, where we're understood, where we're, um, where we are accepted for ourselves. And, you know, when you look and you've got to remember at this point, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't social media, um, you know, even I suppose it's a little bit easier now. You can put in a Google search and join a Facebook group or something. Whereas then it was, um, if you didn't see it on TV, and you know, in my house there were literally five channels on TV. Yeah. So if it wasn't on there, then it didn't it exist. Didn't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you end up suppressing your 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 true identity, your true sexuality. You get into a relationship with a woman. You end up getting married. Uh, married for, I believe, eight years. You have two kids, one boy, one girl. You're a dad by the age of 20. Why did you get married? Um, yeah, that was... Getting married was the, the norm. Um, it, was, it was kind of... We were told... Uh, you know, where I grew up, getting ma- getting married was the aspiration. You you if you could hold down a job, get married, have some kids, and support those kids, and go on holiday once a year, then you were a success and you'd made it. And that's what everybody should aim for. It was, you know, conformity. Um, and I mean, the thing with conformity is everybody likes you except yourself, right? Um, and yeah, so that was what you should do. I mean, I got married. I, I got with my ex-wife. Wife. I was nineteen years old. Um, we'd only been seeing each other a few months, and she was pregnant. Um, my dad was never around when I grew up, and I thought, God, I don't want. You know, she said she wanted to keep the baby, and I, I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want that kid to go through what I'd gone through with my, the my dad not being around. So, you know, I thought that was the right thing to do. I thought these feelings, I could just ignore them. They would go away. Um, and, you, you know, you get busy bring, bringing a kid up, sorting a house out, try, trying to build your career as a rugby player. You know, you, 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 you can sort of put it to the back of your head. And, and, and then every so often it would, it would come to the fore. Um, and and is that really... Sat, and is that really the essence of why you got married? Because you wanted to conform, you wanted to suppress your your true sexuality? Is that really the essence of why you think you got married? I think more the reason that I wanted to get married was because my ex-wife wanted to get married. She, that was what she wanted. Um, and I didn't see I didn't see another where my life was going to go at that point there was never I was I was was never going to accept that I was gay I was never going to come out um I was just going to carry on this was my life and this is what I was going to live I was going to put up and I was going to shut up and I was going to get on with it so I might as well give her what she wanted and she wanted to get married and and live that you know that aspirational in inverted you know in air quotes life um so that that you know I went I, I got married because I, I went with you know went with the flower things and didn't didn't think about 
like I say, I never thought at the time I got married that I would ever come out that I would ever, I thought I was going to be married and that was it. Um, you know, I, I did go into it thinking it would be for life. And it was only when, you know, years later after suppressing my sexuality and just being so f- filled with guilt and shame, that, you know, I mean, it got to a point where I was drinking regularly. I was taking drugs. I was stay out of the house. I was, tra- I mean, I was training loads, drinking loads. God knows how I didn't have a heart attack. Um, you know, because I just wanted to escape my own head. And that was, you know, it's well documented. I spoke about it before. That was when I thought there's no way out of this for me. So it's either continue like this, which I don't want to do, or, you know, I, and that was when I considered suicide. Um, so it was, it wasn't a nice, I backed myself into a corner essentially. Um, and it wasn't a nice position for anybody. You know, I wasn't a nice, I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't a, a good dad. I wasn't present. Uh, I didn't like myself. Um, so how anybody else did, I, I honestly don't know when I look back. How are you uh, as being a gay dad? Oh, I mean, now I have an incredible relationship with my kids. We have, um, my daughter is 13. I mean, we watch RuPaul together. Um, she, you know, the kids, we have an amazing relationship. They, they ask questions. I answer, you know, age specific. You know, when I came out, my son was three years old. Um, I've come out to my son about 10 times. Are you still gay, dad? You know, dad, are you still gay? Um, you know, you understand like he's nine now. So they, they get it. And, they, you know, we, I'm, I'm so much happier in my own skin. Um, and that, you know, that transfers into how I, you know, my mood, my energy. I'm present when I'm with the kids. You know, I might not be in the house as much as, I might not spend as much time with them as in I did when I was, you know, living with their mum, but ultimately the quality of the time that I do spend with them now is a million times better. And I mean, I still have them three nights a week, so I still see them plenty. So I'm a, I'm very lucky that I get to see my kids so much, that we have such a good relationship and that they're, you know, they're happy that their kids are just happy that their parents are happy, right? They, um, so, yeah, a, a, an amazing relationship with, with the kids and, um, and my daughter's at her age now where the, her, all her friends think it's really cool that she's got a gay dad, so it's nice <laughs> to be a cool dad. So let's talk about you and your coming out story, or maybe your coming out stories. My understanding is maybe this is when you first really truly came out. You had played a game. Some of your teammates and yourself, I believe, ended up going back to your your place for drinks at one point, one of your teammates says to you, uh, are these rumors true? Are you gay? And you said, basically said yes. So here's the question. Those rumors about you being gay that your teammates may have heard about, how did those rumors get started? <laughs> yeah, so me, me and my wife had separated. Um, like I said, the, the relationship had just become untenable. Um, so I'd moved out. And I was starting to come to terms with the fact that I was, that I was gay. You know, it was something that I was now thinking, all right, well, maybe this is, you know, this is why you've been behaving like you have, you know, this, all this escapism. 
and now you don't have to you don't have to pretend anymore you, you know you're not with, I wasn't with her anymore and there was this separation and it, it gave me a sense of perspective that okay this is what this is let's let's explore that and uh, going into Leeds which is like I say the city near me um, th- there's a few gay bars there and as as you said I'm six foot four you know 230 240 pounds depend, depends what time of year we're talking um, and I'd gone into, uh, you know, a gay bar. and uh, remember the bouncer stopping me on the door and asking me if I knew it was a gay bar. I was like, yes, please let me in. <laughs> um, before somebody sees, obviously somebody did see. Um, and then it just, yeah, they, they just said, oh, somebody said they saw you in, uh, it's called, one of the gay bars in Leeds called Viaduct. Uh, someone said they saw you and I don't know what you mean, don't know what you mean. Um, and then obviously, I mean, that was it then in rugby, you know, then all sorts of rumours started flying around off the back of that just because I denied it. Um, um, which was, they were a joke at the time, but I, it just made me think, oh my God. Um, and so, yeah, we, we'd been out for a drink after a game, we'd been to the pub, uh, pub it was a Sunday night, so it closed early. We went back and had a few beers at my house and and they obviously got a bit of Dutch courage. And one of the lads said, you know, what, what is it about these rumours, Keeks? Thinking it was a joke. And I was going to say, yeah, it's all a joke. I don't know where it's come from. Um, and I remember, even though it was a split second, I remember thinking, do I deny it? Do I tell them? What do I do? Um, deny, deny, deny. Or, or do I just, you know, go for it and see what happens? And I just thought, do you know what? There you go. And I just said, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, and I said, yeah, it's true, I'm, I'm gay. Um, no, I didn't say I'm gay because it took me a long time to be able to say that. I said, yeah, the, the rumours are true, yeah. Um, and one of my friends who was there, um, who was a big, big ad rugby player, just started crying. Um, and I, I said, why are you crying? And they said, I'm just really sorry you've had to go through this on your own. And, and you know, so it was, it was very sweet. The guys were, you know, incredible. Um, it's such a powerful uh, moment. Yeah, yeah. It was really, you know, it was it was a really nice, really nice moment that we had. Um, he's a good friend of mine. And not that it was an ex... I, I mean, I didn't think that his, his acceptance, we wouldn't, they wouldn't accept it, but just for him to be so, you know, emotional about it and open about it, it was, uh, yeah, it was a really, really sweet thing. And, you know the rest of the lads, the club, the chairman, the coach. They were all, they were all incredibly supportive. You ended up coming out to your your ex wife and I believe your sister. Yeah, I I, I told I figured I needed to tell my ex wife, um, so I went and told her, uh, which was a very surreal conversation. I mean, shock. You know, she was okay with it, and then as I left, and the dust settled. You know, understandably, she was angry, confused, frustrated. Um, I then told my mum. My mum lives abroad in Gran Canaria, which is ironic because it's like the European capital of the gays. Um, (laughs) And she was not happy about it. Um, I was a a liar. I disappointed her. Um, And I mean, this, you know, Mark, we just spoke about that, um, you know, that, 
sense of what it looks like to be gay. My mum, one of my, I remember, I'll never forget it. My mum said, she kept saying, you're joking, stop joking. And I said, I'm not joking, I'm being serious. And she said, you're six foot four, how can you be gay? Um, which is preposterous in itself. But, you know, that was the kind of thing that I guess I was growing up with. That's what you were uh, thinking. Yeah, exactly. So that was where, at least you know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we we didn't speak properly. Um, and then we we just, we had ended up having a big argument. I didn't speak to my mum for, for about five years. Um, and how are things today? Yeah, good now. Really good. Um, she's mellowed a lot. And, um, you know, if you give people a chance to change and and come round and know that, you know, I I don't know if she expected me to pretend that it wasn't the case or whatever, but, you know, I held my ground and I, I wasn't in the wrong. And, and ultimately people, well, they either come round or they don't. And if somebody, something I always say, if someone's got a problem, it's their problem. Um, so yeah, she, she worked, she's obviously worked through it and yeah, we, we have, we have a good relationship now. Well, better, certainly a better one. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk about you still coming out because you did an interview with the Sunday mirror and that interview, you came out in that interview and that interview went viral. You were on all these TV shows there in the UK. But talk to me about getting a phone call from a wor- this world-famous British artist, and you know who I'm talking about, who called you from Nice. I do, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I come out, uh, friends and family, rugby team, everybody knew. And then the press had got hold of it, and they were going to run a story. Uh, and I remember my coach rung me and said, you know, it'd probably be a good idea for you to get you know do the interview so it's done on your terms rather than them just running a story you know you're going through a divorce and there's kids and da 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 so I uh, went and I sat down with them the the um the interview came out as you say in, in the mirror and it was yeah the the reaction was huge I had messages and phone calls from people all over the world from famous people. It was, yeah, ridiculous. And I, I got, I had a missed call the next day. Um, and um, I, I just thought, I don't know why I thought I'm going to ring that number back. It, and it came up, it said niece. Well, I read it as nice. And I thought, where's well, nice? Um, <laughs> and realized it was French. Um, so I rung back a French guy answered. I said, I've just had a missed call from, from this number. Uh, he asked, who is it? I said, it's Keegan Hurst. And then he said, two minutes. And then I got, uh, I heard it kind of click over to another line and it said, and it was a, a man on the other end and he said, hi, Keegan, Elton here. Um, I just wanted to let you know, me and David think you're absolutely fabulous. We've read your story. Da, 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 da. Yeah, so Elton John, who who I thought I'm not like him. I mean, <laughs> the the irony. I know um, <laughs> the irony. Um, and we had a we had a, a good chat for a good ten minutes. Or so, um, and we've you know we've stayed in contact ever since. We've um, we we email uh, you know every couple of months or so. 
Um, met him a couple of times and yeah, really, really lovely man, really supportive, really. Um, I mean, he's, he's the he's the headmistress for a, for a reason. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, really nice man. Uh, Ian McKellen was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Anthony, Anthony Cotton, um, I know over in Canada, you guys love Coronation Street. Um, Anthony Cotton became a real good friend of mine who shone in Coronation Street. Um, yeah, it was it was a, a very, you know, Emma Watson messaging me was very surreal. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was, yeah, just a very surreal time. Yeah, getting a phone call from Nice. Who knew? Yeah, yeah, Nice. What a lovely place. <laughs> Growing up, did you want to be a wizard? <laughs> um, yeah, when I was about five, my mom asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said a wizard. So talk uh, to me about you giving a car ride to Gandalf. <laughs> You've done your research here, Mark. Well done. Uh, yeah, so as I said, I... Uh, I had so many messages from people and uh, Anthony Cotton was, was one of those. Um, and Anthony was really, really sweet, said, you know, you're going to have lots of people messaging you. Uh, and I know this isn't your world kind of thing. Um, and if you need a friend, I don't want anything from you, but I, I'm happy to help if I can. So I thought that was very sweet. And he invited me for dinner. Um, and it was, this was going to be the Friday night and Manchester Pride was on the Saturday <laughs> And he said, do you want to come for dinner? Um, A good friend of mine uh, is coming up, uh, Ian McKellen, and he'd love to meet you as well. So, I mean, I was a massive massive Lord of the Rings fan, you know, comic book geek, Mm X-Men and everything. So I was, you know, yeah, I'm going. Um, So I drove. uh, Like I say, I live about 15 minutes away from Manchester. um, And those guys had had been in Manchester doing stuff for Pride. um, And we got to this nice little restaurant, had some food, those guys had a drink. Uh, and, you know, it came to the end of the night and, this, you know, they invited me to come to Pride the next day, which I said I would do. And they were waiting for a taxi home. And I was, I just had a little Peugeot at the time, a little grey Peugeot. Um, and I said, well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm driving, I can drop you off. It's not a problem. Um, <laughs> so they said that, you know, that's very kind of you. And, Ian got in the front, so I had Gandalf in the front, and Sean from <laughs> Coronation Street in the back, um, and, I, and I had um, Anthony's uh, over half Peter in the back as well, and, and their friend Joe. Um, and Ian had just finished driving; he just finished filming Beauty and the Beast. He's uh, does the voice of Cogsworth, uh, the clock, and he kept talking about how he was fuming that he didn't have his own song, um, and then it just weirdly broke into singing Beauty and the Beast songs in the car on the way home with Gandalf and Sean from Coronation Street. So I, I was driving thinking, what is my life right now? Um, but it was, it was very sweet and they were, they were both lovely. Um, and yeah, it was a, a really lovely memory. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, I have three quick questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Day or night? Day. Red or white? White. Minced pie with clotted cream or Cooking with Paris on Netflix? (laughs) Uh, Cooking with Paris. 
Okay. <laughs> Comedy genius. Keegan Hurst, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Matt. Really appreciate it. To find out more on Keegan Hurst, his online training course, PTIQ, and more, you can find him on socials. Just search Keegan Hurst. Hi, I'm Cameron Bailey, Artistic Director and Co-Head of TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara. And just like that, this little gay journey through Rainbow Country has come to an end. For the full two-hour episode, head over to marktar.com, where everything is connected, and hit the Archives banner. To keep up to date with the show, follow me on socials at marktaramusic. The podcast is available on all major platforms, including audible.com. Finally, I want to take this time to thank you for taking your time to be with me. Remember, stay well, stay strong, and stay safe. Hi, this is Police Constable Danielle Botno, also known as LGBT Cop, and you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Terra. Mm.